Hey everyone, Dr. B here. Welcome back. And thanks very much for joining me again for another episode of Ask the Dentist. So today we're going to talk about demineralization as it relates to having had braces and when the braces come off the brackets, whether they're composite brackets, the plastic ones, or metal brackets, the stainless steel ones, there are white stains, sometimes worse, they could be brown, stains where the brackets, around where the brackets were glued onto your teeth. And this is still very common, unfortunately. I also, I feel very bad, again, Hannah asks the question, and I always feel bad when this happens. These are young people where, you know, when they did have braces, they were 10, 11, 12 years old. Uh, they're told very quickly or the mother or father signs an informed consent form saying that this can happen. This is one of the common sequelae or side effects or after effects of having brackets on your teeth. And, you know, the young person really isn't aware of the consequences. And then when they're out of college or you know, we're beginning their careers and that kind of thing where self-esteem is, is very, very important. Looking for a job, dating, it, it, you know, all, all of those things, their self-esteem is very impacted. And it's kind of a gray area. I mean, a lot of dentists jump to very extreme solutions that are very expensive, that are not covered by insurance. So anyway, we're going to talk about all of that. I'm going to address all of Hannah's question. She brings up some possible solutions that I want to talk about in detail. This is a very common problem, and it's not to be confused with fluorosis. That's something different. That's developmental. That's too much fluoride being ingested when the teeth are forming underneath the gum, and when they erupt, you see little white spots uh, or worse. It's called mottling, mottling with two Ts. And it's not that, but it looks like that. And it looks a little even stranger because it mimics the size or the shape of the bracket. So it, it, it and it can also weaken the teeth and it's really unfortunate. So we're going to talk about all aspects of demineralization after you've had your orthodontic hardware removed and what can be done about it and why I think it's unnecessary in many ways in how the profession is currently treating malocclusion or crowding of the dentition. So we'll talk about all aspects of that. I, I think you'll find it very interesting. But before we get to Hannah's question, let me just say real quickly, as an aside, just as a note, for some reason, spring seems to be podcast season. And I get a lot of invitations to be on other podcasts. And I really enjoy doing this because it's important to me to always bring up the oral component in whatever we're talking about. It can be metabolic syndrome. It can be nutrition, hormonal health. It can be peri or postnatal advice. But there's always, when it comes to overall health, and, and you've heard me say this before, it's so important to be cognizant of the oral component because it just, A, it has such an impact on overall health. It can make or break that attempt to achieve optimal health or a good result. And it always gets kind of tucked under the you know, carpet. It's not always mentioned. And, and that's for many reasons, um, a real schism between medicine and dentistry. And, and there are other forces at play there. So as I do these podcasts, I'll just give a little one minute review on what we talked about. And if it's something that is of interest to you this way, it's another resource where you can go and get a deep dive. Typically, these are deeper dives, more information, very vertical subjects. And you can hopefully take away a lot of 
information from that oral health and systemic health. So on occasion, you'll hear me give you a review of uh, a recent podcast that I did. So anyway, let's get to Hannah's question and dive right in. Hey, Dr. B, I'm a viewer of yours on TikTok, and I just had a question for you. So um, I have like white spots on my teeth and they're from braces. I had braces at a really young age, didn't take care of the best, didn't take care of my teeth the best as I should have, you know. So now I have white spots on my teeth and I just wanted to know, like, what do you suggest for white spots on the teeth? Because I did use MI paste after I got my braces off and that did help remineralize the teeth, but the white spots haven't gone away. You know, the appearance, you can still see the white spots on my teeth and I don't want to drill them. Many dentists recommend just like drilling them out and putting a filling or veneers, which I don't want to do either. Or like, I don't really want to do bonding either. So what do you suggest is like the most conservative approach? I've heard of resin infiltration. It goes by the name of Icon. I don't know if you know about that. It's like fairly new. That's something I've been looking into. Also, there's like another approach where you like etch the teeth and then you apply MI paste and you do that like you do that once a week over a couple of weeks and that'll help remineralize them even further. So I was wondering if you've heard of that approach and what you think about that and what do you just think is like the best thing I can do about the white spots on my teeth without, you know, having to cover them up with like veneers or bonding. So yeah, that was my question. Thank you. Hi, Hannah. Thanks for following us on TikTok. We're relatively new to TikTok, a very interesting platform, definitely helpful in getting the information out. So we we will definitely continue our efforts there on TikTok. So thank you again. I feel bad for you, Hannah. I hear this often. It sounds like, you know, you're older now and you're thinking back to something that happened when you were between 10 and 13. There's some, you know, of course, a regret there, but I wouldn't feel bad because, you know, orthodontics, the way we do it now currently with putting brackets on and wires and you know, that's such a band-aid approach to something that we should be solving much earlier on in life and addressing the root causes. I'll touch on that later in this episode. But my point is, is I wouldn't feel bad. I know you've got these white spots and hopefully the information I give you today will give you some hope. But, you know, the orthodontists do this, I'll say it, kind of archaic method of pushing teeth around with wires, the mechanics of it, and pushing, tugging, rubber bands, springs, uh, you know, rectangular wires when twisted have force. And it's such an after the fact kind of approach. Yes, we can make the teeth look great, but then we have to keep you in retainers for a long time. And, and, but there's, it's really not focusing where we need to be focusing. And because of that, you have been exposed to this archaic, brutal way of fixing the problem. I had braces as an adult. I never had them as a child. I had them in my, late 20s? No, sorry, early 30s. And I was worried about white spot lesions. Uh, that's what we call them, WSLs, white spot lesions, very common. You know, some studies indicate that it happens from anywhere between 18 to 88% of the time. And what that indicates is that it's really in the hands of the provider, how careful they are, how much education they give you, and then also the patient and what foods they're eating at home. So, 
There's a lot of variability there, but even at 18%, to get those white spots, to have straight, beautiful teeth with these little white squares, or typically it shows up as a little white square. The white decalcifications occur outside of the edges of the bracket uh, that's glued onto your tooth, each tooth. And it can also happen near the gum line. And I'll explain, you know, it's the same demineralization, but slightly different areas. I'll try and explain that as well. So don't feel bad. Really, you know, the orthodontist, I'm going to get some flack on this. I know I am. But the orthodontist, you know, once the parents are out of the picture and they've sold the treatment plan to the parents, they just see the kids. And it. it I've seen a lot of orthodontic offices. They're just mills, factories of, you know, with open bay designs where you've got all these children lined up in chairs and assistants doing most of the work. And I wonder how much education is really going on in terms of how to prevent these or, or explaining how they even occur. They just want to get the brackets on, get the wires on, get the teeth straight and deep bracket them and finish it. And in doing so, you were exposed to a situation, kind of a no win situation, unless they went through a lot of that education that I referred to, you know, how to brush, what foods not to eat, how this happens, how often it happens. Again, that's the, inf that's informed consent. That's in the form that your parents sign. But again, the parents are out of the picture. They're usually in the waiting room and they're putting these brackets on you that essentially make it happen. In other words, it makes it physically more difficult to brush and allows food to collect and cause demineralization. So again, the orthodontists rely on the, in quotes here, the cooperation. I've seen that on forms and, and studies on the cooperation of the patients. How can you rely on the cooperation of a 10-year-old? I'm not trying to diss 10-year-olds. I'm just saying that a 10-year-old would really, you'd really have to sit them down and look them in the eye and show them pictures of before and afters. And this is what your teeth could look like. They could, they'll be straight, but you'll have those little white marks everywhere. And, and this, I mean, I don't see that being done. And so I think the parents have to be pulled in. I think the orthodontists have to be willing to remove the brackets the minute they see this happening. Some orthodontists do this. I applaud them, but it's, I think it's the minority, not the majority. So anyway, I'm just saying, don't feel bad. Let's talk about what it is. Let's define it. And then let's talk about what you can do, how to start off conservatively. I like your thoughts of not drilling right away. And I'm going to talk about the icon approach that you mentioned, uh, all of that. So let's get into a great question. And it allows me to hopefully talk about this to the degree where, you know, future patients don't have to go through with what you're dealing with, Hannah. All right. So what are these white spot lesions? This is referred to as demineralization post-orthodontic care. Demineralization, let me just explain what that is. You've heard me talk about that before. That's the beginning of a cavity. That is the tooth losing its uh, building blocks, hydroxyapatite mostly. And when you demineralize a tooth, you're heading towards a cavity, a little hole. It can happen on the smooth surfaces of the tooth. We have in a proximal decay, which happens in between teeth, we have smooth surface cavities or decay, which happens on the surface of a tooth. And that's this bracket that is glued on to the tooth. It's either made out of composite for aesthetics. So it looks less like you've got railroad tracks on your teeth. And then we have stainless steel brackets as well, same size, but of course they're, they're more visible. So these are glued onto the teeth using resin bonding, which is 
basically a thinner, more viscous material a version of composite fillings, and they get glued onto the teeth, and you've got this little, and then a wire is engaged or put onto the little, I'll call them just for simplicity, those little claws that, that come off the bracket that allow the wire to be engaged, uh, either ligated with a rubber band or wires. And then as you twist the wire, the wires may have memory. They may have a little twist to them with force that when they try and unravel that force, springs, rubber bands, all these things can be attached to the bracket. It gives us a fulcrum, a place where we can grab onto and pull and tug and push and, and torque these teeth. And again, the forces are not that great. They're a gram of force is all it takes to move a tooth. And remember, when you're moving a tooth, you're really not moving the tooth. The tooth is moving, obviously, spatially, but it's the bone that you're moving. By putting pressure on the bone, the girdle of bone around the tooth, these osteocytes uh, remodel, take away bone, add bone, and so the tooth drifts in moving bone. I hope that gives you a good picture in very simplistic form of how teeth drift and move during orthodontics. So anyway, so Okay, so you've got the bracket on there. You've got a wire covering it. You've got some other springs on there, rubber bands. There's a lot of stuff that's glommed onto the tooth, and hence there are a lot of nooks and crannies, uh, lots of little areas that will collect food, and plaque will build up. And again, when the brackets are removed, it's no surprise that the little white line lesion that you have is shaped by the edges or the outline, I should say, of the bracket of the type of bracket. You can also get demilarization lines and marks at the edge of a band. Some of the back teeth get a band that are slipped around the tooth. So they usually look like lines uh, or little squares or little kind of half triangles without the hypotenuse. Wherever that demilarization occurred, that's where plaque was building up and the patient couldn't gain access to it. And again, the tooth, if it's continually attacked and the pH changes in that area, then it really doesn't have a chance. It will start turning white. Uh, that's the beginning signs of decay is a white spot lesion, we call it. This is just a simple cavity type thing. So demilarization during and post-orthodontic treatment, this is similar. It's the same mechanism as its counterpart, the smooth surface carious lesion or cavities or the interproximal cavity, it should be considered, again, uh, the same as its counterpart, as a dietary carbohydrate and saliva-modified bacterial infectious disease. And it is a very common disease. Cavities is the most common disease in the world. It is a disease of the oral microbiome or a failure of the oral microbiome to, to do its job, a, a dysbiosis. Again, this is all stuff you've heard me say. So I just wanted to make that clear. It's the same thing. It's a, it's a cavity. We call it white line lesions, uh, white spot lesions, whatever, but it essentially is a cavity forming right in front of you, out in the open. And it's the braces, the brackets, and all that mechanical hardware that brings it on, that makes it more likely that that will happen. So again, dietary carbohydrate-induced enrichment of the plaque layer or the bacteria in the plaque layer. These are organisms and streptococcus S. mutans and lactobacilli. And when they consume, again, I'm going to pick on goldfish crackers, perfect example. Let's say you have a starchy meal with all this hardware on there. And again, I'm, this is bringing back a lot of memories for me, having been an adult 
and having had a dental training. In other words, I came out of dental school. I had crowding. I had my wisdom teeth in. I had to get a lot of dental work done. <laughs> you know, I had to kind of walk the talk and make sure I had good dental health and, and before telling my patients, this is what you need to do. So I remember those days and I'll give you some tips on what I did to prevent these white lesions. They can also be brown, by the way. They can turn brown on you as well. They can be quite unsightly, uh, as Hannah can tell you. And by the way, just as an aside, they seem to get worse when you mouth breathe a lot or when your teeth desiccate. Again, that saliva layer, if your teeth dry, those spots will look worse. So after exercising a lot or in the morning, when you look at your teeth, Hannah, you'll notice that it, they're actually a little bit more visible because the saliva kind of changes the reflectivity and, and the contrast of those white lesions compared to the color of enamel. Okay, so that is the white. Essentially, what I'm trying to say is it's a cavity. It's just like demineralization. These little white spots are the beginnings of cavities, and it's around the bracket. So it's the, let's talk about that. So it's the introduction of fixed appliances, i.e. all the orthodontic hardware that gets put on there, that is introduced into the oral environment that alters the oral microbiome. Because all of a sudden, you've got kind of like ladders and fences. And I'm just trying to think of an analogy here where, you know, it's like a grid. It's a grid where you can hang stuff on, <laughs> like bugs and more biofilm. And, and so introducing essentially all the brackets introduce yet another variable into the system. There are other variables, and I'll, I'll talk about that. Mouth breathing is the big one. So insertion of fixed orthodontic appliances, it creates kind of a stagnation area right where the appliance meets the tooth. Again, that's a bonded surface. They've used resin. The orthodontists have used resin. First of all, they've etched the tooth. They demineralize the tooth a little bit. They pour the resin on there. And then there, there's a rough surface on the back of the bracket that engages the resin as well. And then when the resin is cured, either with a light or, and or both just a chemical set, over time the resin hardens, it's all micromechanically locked onto the tooth, having etched the tooth and demineralized it a little bit. So there's no research on whether that's good or bad for the tooth. I mean, again, we do this all the time for fillings, but I wonder... If there's aggressive etching and the resin isn't used properly, if that's not the beginning of this demineralization event. And it could be because it's very irregular. It's not always a perfect square. So the irregular surfaces of brackets and bands, and as I mentioned, rubber bands, springs, little coiled springs, they provide some protection from physical forces, the movement of food, uh, the oral musculature, the tongue, the sweeping motion of the tongue and the cheek, saliva. It reduces access to saliva. Saliva buffers the pH. Cavities occur in a low acidic environment. Saliva buffers that and prevents that demineralization from occurring. So all of this encourages lowering of plaque pH and in the presence of goldfish, I mean, carbohydrates, <laughs> plaque accumulation is accelerated. The biofilm gets thicker and uh, plaque not only provides a source of acid production, it covers the area and promotes, you know, the good guys from coming, the saliva, and which balances pH, but also provides the building blocks for remineralization. That's where all the calcium, the hydroxyapatite is present. It's in the saliva. So, so anyway, so that's how brackets make it worse. That's why you see these little outlines and lines 
It doesn't explain why. Well, it does explain, but I haven't touched on that yet. There's also the other characteristic lesion or white line lesion is near the gum line. But because the bracket and the wire is usually in the middle part of the tooth, it can be the lower third. It depends on how the orthodontist wants to rotate that tooth and how far away they want to be from the fulcrum of movement. Again, I'm not an orthodontist, but it's just basic physics. That bracket allows food to get caught between the gum line and the bracket. The area that is above the bracket, the biting surface of the tooth, that's more open. It's not underneath a wire and a bracket and a spring and a rubber band. So that's where you get those lesions. And they, of course, follow the line of the free margin of the gum. And typically patients have both. Most of the time you see them on front teeth and you see them and the prevalence on laterals is greater than any other tooth. And that's curious. I don't have an explanation for that. But the front teeth, in a mouth breather, the front teeth will more likely get these white line lesions than the back teeth. Because again, with mouth breathing, those teeth are the ones that dry out first because they're in that pole position out front. So again, we see a lot of that. Maybe no white line lesions on the back teeth because the saliva is still kind of there, even though the mouth is open. But the front teeth get hit hard with pH changes and all of that. So anyway, so that's some background on what you're dealing with, Hannah. And now we're going to talk about the things that can be done about it. I'm going to talk about prevention before it happens. I'm going to talk about what to do after the fact. You have the white lesions. You're dealing with that. We're going to talk about some new tech on it. What else? Yeah. And I'll talk a little bit about what I did personally. Uh, at that point in time in my, actually it was 34. Now I remember I was 34 years old, just got braces for the first time. And I had been a dentist for at least eight, mm, yeah, seven, eight years by then. So I knew enough to be paranoid. Uh, and there were some things I did that I thought were kind of unique. And uh, again, I wasn't mouth breathing at that point in time, but I wasn't mouth taping either, but I was able to prevent those white line lesions. And I'll, I'll give you a hint or I'll tell you what I did that prevented that from happening. So let's first get into some specific questions that Hannah has asked. Let's first talk about the icon system and why that may be a good possible resource, because it's certainly very conservative but it's not as conservative as whitening your teeth. So let's first talk about that. So obviously brushing and flossing and eating, staying away from, you know, foods like crackers and processed foods. And that's exactly what I did when I had braces. I gave up bagels. That was easy because I had a little palatal spreader on and I couldn't eat bagels. So, but I stayed away from breads. I just ate protein and vegetables uh, and fish and meats and chicken and, you know, that, that paleo diet. And I think that really, really helped a lot. Uh, the biofilm, the plaque layers uh, really didn't build up. I didn't get that furry feeling, you know, that you do, that you get when you've eaten stuff that comes in a bag. You know, I had to give up potato chips back then. I liked my healthy potato chips that were made with olive oil and, you know, but again, it's a highly processed, broken down food and it can lower those pH levels to the point where you get that, that decalcification, that demineralization at the edge of the bracket uh, where the tooth meets the bracket. So definitely diet, brushing, flossing. This is one thing 
that really helped me. I used a mouthwash that, oh, what did it have in it? It was a ozonated product, very mild ozonated water-based mouthwash. I, I forget the name of it. And that was way back when, when ozone wasn't really that well-known to be very effective in dental treatments, uh, even in remineralization treatments, which a lot of pediatric dentists, uh, well, not a lot, actually, only very few are doing now. One example, I've mentioned this before, is uh, Dr. Stacy Whitman in Portland. She uses ozone along with hydroxyapatite and different techniques to help reverse small cavities. So, but anyway, I was, so I was using that product. I was not swallowing it. I was swishing with it after every single meal, even a snack. And that seemed to help a lot. That actually helped more than brushing. Now I did back then use fluoridated toothpaste. I used a prescription item. It's called Prevident 5000. There are other competitors, but essentially 5000 parts per million a fluoridated toothpaste prescription because it's strong. If a child swallows that, there are severe consequences. And I'm not sure that happened. I actually found a study that supports that, that regular use of fluoridated toothpaste. Well, this I knew, that regular fluoridated toothpaste is a waste of time. The study basically, I even think regular fluoridated toothpaste is a waste of time in general, with or without braces. But in this study, regular use of fluoride toothpaste was shown to be insufficient to inhibit these white line lesions uh, from developing around orthodontic brackets. Uh, what's interesting is that in the same study, the daily mouth rinses, again, it was a very low strength uh, fluoride. These are not the prescription strength fluorides, uh, toothpaste that I was using, the Prevident, that daily mouth rinses with sodium fluoride daily or even weekly were found to reduce the incidence of demineralization in patients during active orthodontic treatment. Now, is it the swishing motion? And when I say swishing, mouth closed and getting the fluid into all the areas and then vigorously suctioning back and forth. So this fluid, you know, almost acts like a kind of a water flosser and doing that after every single meal when waking up in the morning, whenever you think that biofilm has a chance of accumulating near that bracket surface. And according to this study, that was more helpful than using fluoridated toothpaste. I'm not surprised by that. But however, it had also in the study, it also was suggested that visible white spots, the white line lesions, the white spot lesions on facial surfaces, which developed during orthodontic treatment, and here's, this is very interesting, should not be treated topically with concentrated fluoride agents, any kind of fluoride. And this is going to play later on what I'm going to talk about with the ICON procedure, since this procedure may prevent complete repair of that lesion. And there's some truth to that, that when you apply fluoride to a small cavity, that it doesn't quite repair as well as hydroxyapatite. Yes, there are studies that say hydroxyapatite repairs better than fluoride. It's a smoother, more, what's the word, more lifelike repair of that enamel structure. It's smoother. It's uh, also less brittle. But also, just by adding a remineralization agent like fluoride, it's just never as good as not having had that demineralization to begin with. So, that's why preventing that from occurring is important. And here's something very important. Again, 
if you're being treated by an orthodontist, ask for this. Uh, there are all these new fluorescent devices out there, including quantitative light-induced fluorescence, that's QLF, that exp- and these are cavity finders, essentially. And, and I only used one late in my career because they just came out. But these devices exploit the intrinsic fluorescence of enamel. It's because of that very crystalline-like structure and teeth, enamel and teeth. And it essentially detects the demineralization before it becomes visible to the human eye. So, and since you're seeing your orthodontist every three, four weeks, why not get that that device out? And if you see something happening, then you can deal with it directly. You can maybe just take off one bracket, maybe put a band around the tooth, maybe take off all the brackets and wait, uh, maybe look at, you know, mouth breathing as a potential causative agent for, you know, drying out the mouth, less saliva, obviously that would lower the pH in these areas. So I would ask for these devices, uh, their cavity detectors and have your teeth scanned. I mean, you have that right uh, to reduce and prevent sequelae side effects of a procedure. You have every right to ask for that. Um, so these are all the things that you can do to prevent that from occurring, these white line lesions. These are things that you can do to even have to deal with it later on in life. Now, here's the last big one. You know where I'm going with this, mouth tape. If I was an orthodontist, I'd have all my kids mouth tape. The mouth closed at night, all night long, keeps the pH very, very stable. That along with diet modification or making sure that there is a good diet. Yes, brushing, flossing, but it's it, flossing is important, very difficult to floss with braces. Uh, I would use a water pick at that point. But it seems that the swishing is probably the most important thing along with diet and also keeping that pH stable in the mouth. And maybe that's where the swishing comes in after every single meal. Every time there's a potential for an acid attack, swish, 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 swish. I don't care what it's with. Uh, well, obviously not a very strong antiseptic mouthwash. Uh, even with water, even with water, swishing would help. Ozonated mouthwashes, definitely. But by taping, and this basically addresses pH changes at night, because at night you could be sleeping with your mouth open for six, seven, eight hours if you're a teenager, maybe more. And that dryness certainly will be one of the major causative factors of these white line lesions. So so that's kind of all the preventative stuff. My favorites are the diet, make sure diet is, is and, and parents need to get involved. I mean, as a 10 or 12 year old, I don't think you have the reasoning and, and capability for understanding of the big picture, no offense, but I'm just speaking for myself. When I was 10, there's no way I could make those big lifelong decisions and understand the impact of behavior. So, so really the parents need to get involved and they need to work with the orthodontist and, and be doing all the things that I'm recommending to prevent this very disfiguring thing from occurring. So again, diet, swishing, mouth taping, all of those things control the pH around these brackets. So enough said there. Let's talk about things you can do that could take away these unsightly white line lesions. All right. So my first go-to with some anterior white line lesions is tooth whitening. I think it's best to do it very slowly. I use a custom-made tray that covers the gel only in the areas that I need the gel. So it could just be the anterior teeth. It may just be the upper teeth, not the lower teeth. It could be full trays for retention. So the tray stays in. Again, custom is the key word there. 
And then using a 7 to 10% concentration of carabamide peroxide, that's the traditional whitening gel. I would not recommend 30 or even 15%. You got to go slow on this. You got to continue mouth taping to prevent these areas from drying out. Uh, again, eating the right foods, brushing and flossing, rinsing. These are all important things. But the whitening... So here's what happens. So, you, so the white lesion is whiter than the rest of the tooth. There's a chance that if you whiten the tooth, that you can match the lesion at the color of the lesion itself. And if there isn't too much of that, that can work. It's not perfect, but it's inexpensive, easy to do, and non-invasive. It does alter the oral microbiome temporarily. That's what hydrogen peroxide does in the mouth. And that's for anyone who's whitening. But at the low strength that I'm recommending, 8 to 10%. And by the way, in Europe, you can't buy these whitening gels that are available here at your dentist or even on Amazon. They have very strict guidelines. And, and so they, you know, a German dentist is stuck with these low gels, uh, low concentration gels. The, the one I liked was Venus. I forget the name of the company in Germany, but you'll be, I'll put a link in it. Let me make a note of that. And I really liked the 10%. Yes, it, it takes longer. It may take six weeks, but it's gentler. I do think that young people need to whiten their teeth less aggressively because the pulp chambers are still very large. I'm seeing a lot of post-op sensitivity after the whitening of the teeth uh, in teenagers, anyone under age 17, 18, in adults less because the pulp chamber is smaller, the tooth is finished growing, and it shrinks that vital space on the inside. I made the mistake of whitening my oldest daughter's teeth too soon, and she, for a long time, had some sensitivity on her upper cuspids, and that, of course, went away. But anyway, hindsight is twenty twenty, even in the clinical realm, especially in the clinical realm. Anyway, so gentle, slow whitening under ideal conditions. And But here's what happens. Let me just warn you. Initially, when you whiten the teeth, the white spots look whiter. That's a desiccation uh, thing I was referring to early. The white lesion, because it's decalcified, will desiccate sooner than the enamel because the, the gel penetrates it more. But in the end, after you've stopped whitening, and again, you have to work with your dentist on this. It's tricky when to stop and, you know, uh, go in every week and have it checked. Then after it balances out, and this happens with all tooth whitening, there's always a period of relapse or kind of a, a balancing effect that occurs, then it may work. I've seen it work. And the beauty of it is that you should try it because it's cheap, simple, and reversible. So I would start there, Hannah. Start with some very mild whitening at uh, 8 to 10% and go slow on that. Okay, so what next? Of course, we're leading up to veneers and drilling and covering all this stuff. Hopefully, that won't be necessary in Hannah's case. But the next step is this icon procedure. So I'm going to include a YouTube video of someone doing the icon procedure. Of course, it's very pro-icon. It's kind of a remineralization using different etching and acid and resin and polishing. And, and this is kind of a modification of what I was doing back 20, 30 years ago in certain areas. We would first etch the area and try and remineralize it. And the problem with this is, A, it doesn't always work. It's always in the eyes of the beholder. There are a lot of studies on this kind of remineralization process using acid etching, which is what we do before we do a plastic filling. And most dentists have a lot of experience with. 
but without drilling. And so the results are very uneven and unpredictable. And the problem, so great, why not try it? Well, here's the issue. It's an expensive procedure, very time-inducive, very technique-sensitive. So I want you to look at the video because you'll see a before and after. Obviously, it looks great in the video. But there are some studies out there, some fascinating studies. One I came across, basically, it was a triple-blind study where the patients didn't know which procedure was being used. The doctors didn't know what they were looking at. And then the doctors didn't make the assessment after they did the procedure. There were assessors and the assessors didn't know which procedures and chemicals and kits were used. So that's a great study. Basically, in the end, they're really, it was all in the eyes of the beholder. A lot of variation, even from blinded, not blinded visibly, but in the study blinded to which technique was used. And there really was no agreement on whether it worked well and which system worked better. So that was a little depressing. And so I would be very cautious of the icon, try the whitening first and the icon may or may not work. Maybe make a deal where you do, do one tooth to test it in your mouth. Maybe you'll get a reduction in cost because that'll save the dentist some money. Maybe pick the worst lesion first and and use that method. But again, I proceed with caution. It's not that invasive, but it's costly. It's invasive to the pocketbook. So definitely try that if you want. And then of course, you can just load up on, even more conservatively, you can just load up on a very strong fluoridated toothpaste. Prevident 5000 is the one that tests the best. In independent testing, I have no affiliation with them at all, but it actually did better than MI Paste. MI Paste, you're going to see a lot of talk about MI Paste in these white line lesion discussions, post-orthodontic care of these lesions. And you know, great product. Fuji, I think, bought the rights to it. It was invented by a, I think, an Australian dentist. I used to sell and use MI Paste and recommend it in the practice. But Prevident really did a much better job in these independent tests that I am have access to and pay to see. But that's the beauty of it is I'm paying for the testing, not the companies paying for the testing. I hope you see that. And these are people that I trust. They're uh, dentists and, and researchers. So, and US-based. So anyway, what was I saying? So the Prevident, using that, again, I'm not fond of fluoride. It does get absorbed. I would wait till you're at least over 25 years old. Your brain is still developing. Yes, you can get absorption of fluoride. That's controversial. It can affect your brain. It crosses the blood-brain barrier and can cause neurotoxicity. So that leads me to hydroxyapatite. Now, I don't have a lot of data on this, but this would be my go-to even before the whitening. I would find a toothpaste with very high levels of hydroxyapatite in it, at least efficacious or therapeutic levels. Boca's one, Risewell's another. They're all starting at around 15%. The question is, is do you do the micro or nano? I would do the nano, although I don't have any hard science on this, but I have seen some good results. And I do know that in a dentition where there are no white line lesions. You're just trying to prevent decay and using that as a toothpaste, as your everyday toothpaste, that there is a whitening effect. It's really a change in the surface smoothness of the enamel. I think teeth remineral, well, we know that teeth remineralize slightly better with the use of hydroxyapatite as opposed to fluoride. Fluoride's not as good, brittle, uneven, undulating surfaces, but that smooth surface may help cancel out the white line lesions or the contrast between your tooth color and 
and the color of the white line lesion. So anyway, that's, I think, a hot tip. That's where I would go first and maybe in conjunction with whitening. So hydroxyapatite three times a day, mouth taping, and the use of a custom-made bleaching tray, very slow whitening. So anyway, so those are all the conservative ways of dealing with this. And even mouth taping itself, again, desiccation of the teeth when they're dry in the morning after having slept with your mouth open all night long, those spots will be brighter. So mouth taping could actually start off the day with a less of a contrast between the two the two colors. They'll, they'll stand out less. So anyway, as you're seeing here, it's going to be a mix of many different things, kind of pick and choose. But hydroxyapatite is a big player here, I think. Uh, I've seen some good results. By the way, I have fluorosis. Uh, that's something different. Those are little white spots, kind of like pearlescent spots. And that's from ingesting too much fluoride as a kid. I grew up in San Francisco and it's a fluoridated water supply. And I've noticed that for the last eight, nine years of using hydroxyapatite and after having whitened slowly, I've only done that twice, whitened, and that was 20 years ago. Both of those things made those little white spots almost go away completely. So again, same thing, just different etiology. In other words, the white lesions came from something else. Some would argue that the site of that white area is different. It is essentially that you've got too much fluoride in one and D too little calcium in the other. So there could be a difference there. But anyway, I have people with white line lesions with hydroxyapatite toothpaste used very generously and often keeping the mouth moist and very gentle whitening. I have seen some great results. So that's the conservative side of things. And I'll just touch on the endpoint for some and that is veneers, porcelain veneers, irreversible, expensive. You can attain a drop dead smile. Maybe you have some other defects in your teeth that you want to deal with. Again, you've heard me speak about veneers before. I'll let you go to those sources on the website and other podcasts that I've done about veneers. That's a last resort. You're carving up the teeth. You're reducing, you're removing. You're not only removing those decalcified white line lesions, but you're also covering them with porcelain veneers. And again, wait as long as you can for that. Veneers have to be replaced. You're married to a very expensive restoration, which will only go up in price over time. And they can chip and break and fall off. That's rare. If it's done properly, veneers look stupendous. So there may be some other issues that you want to correct along with the white line lesion. So you may be a good candidate, but case selection is important and picking up the provider that does that is also important. Make sure they have a lot of experience in doing veneers, but this should be a last resort. Try everything else, everything else that I mentioned first. Anyway, Hannah, I hope that gives you some hope more than help, but help certainly. I hope that also is there for you. I feel bad. I know you're probably out there in the workforce now and a little self-conscious. So try all of that. And again, I would love to hear about how you were able to resolve this. And in the end, what did you do? How did you uh, fix this problem? And uh, so uh, reach out to me. My email's on, on our website and uh, it's easily found. So good luck to you, Hannah. I hope this was of some help. I, I went on a little bit on this, but there was a lot to talk about. It's very common, more common than you would think. And oh, one thing, let me add one thing. So we talked about, or I talked about earlier, I mentioned that this wouldn't be a problem if we did orthodontics correctly. And I'll just touch on that. But really, 
kind of downsizing from one house to another and keeping the same amount of furniture. That's essentially the analogy I use now for fixing teeth at age between 10 and 12, or, or some orthodontists treat earlier at eight or nine. But facial development, the size of the home is determined by age six, six and a half, in some cases by age seven. Why aren't we treating, why aren't we getting the size of the house to its correct dimensions before the furniture gets moved in, the teeth come in? This is the problem, the root cause of all of this. And orthodontics and some arms of orthodontic treatments in the specialty have. It's called orthotropics, and there are other names for it. We're seeing earlier treatment. I learned the hard way with the three of my girls. I had my my orthodontist did a great job. He intervened at age five with headgear and took care of that facial development issue so that we didn't have to worry about the crowding and moving teeth aggressively with wires and brackets and forcing them in, into place. So this problem doesn't need to be a problem if we did or if we treated if we looked at the root cause for the need for orthodontics and if we moved it upstream a little bit to an earlier age so that there is enough room when the teeth come into play. So I just wanted to all end there. That's a great place to end. Again, the functional dentistry, the root cause is identified and dealt with so that we don't have to deal with these terrible things like white spot lesions and have to, you know, add fillings and restorations and increase the cost and complexity of dental treatment. Anyway, I will end there. I hope that was helpful. And the video that I, uh, the URL that I gave to you, that has some before and after so you know what a white line lesion looks like. It's important to see that. You can also Google it under Google Images and you'll see a whole bunch of photos. And I think you'll agree when you see it. Up until this point, you may have thought, oh, what's a little white spot, right? Well, take a look at these photos. It's not a kind thing to have done to you, and especially at age 10. It's there buried deep in the informed consent form. This could happen. doesn't tell you what the incidence is, and the focus on how to prevent it maybe isn't where it should be, but this should not be happening to the young people here in, in our country, I, I think. I think the profession can do better. So anyway, I will stop there. All right. That brings us to the end of another episode. This one was a little long. I apologize for that. There was lots to talk about. If you have any questions, please go to speakpipe.com slash ask the dentist. If you want to read about anything in terms of oral health, orthodontic care, early intervention, go to askthedentist.com, our website. And if you go see your orthodontist, and again, referrals come from your dentist. And so you may see an orthodontist, you may get some pushback on everything we've just talked about or not enough information. Now that you've armed with all this knowledge, you may have to go digging for a different kind of orthodontist. So if you're seeing a functional dentist, typically you're going to get a good referral. I think the key here is that if you have children, start wondering about orthodontic care by age two. Get an assessment done. That's a very important point. Anyway, but we do have a directory of functional dentists. Not a lot of them are orthodontists. I'm also going to include the website for orthotropics out of England. 
and they have providers all over the U.S. So that'll add to our directory, which is askthedentist.com slash directory. And I think the orthotropic website also has a directory of these forward thinking, early intervening and very aware, you know, of what orthodontic care can do to the self-esteem of a young adult. So anyway, I will end it there again. Thank you so much for joining me. I hope this was helpful. I appreciate your time and all of your interest in oral health. Uh, there's a lot more to talk about. And again, just talking regular dentistry is not enough. You really need to hear the functional approach. It's huge. It's great. It's wonderful. And it is life-changing. I'm serious. And I, I hope I can convince you of that. See you soon. Thanks for joining me. Hi, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Just a reminder that this podcast is for educational purposes only. This podcast is not a substitute for professional care by a dentist, doctor, or other qualified medical professional. This podcast is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. If you're looking for help in your journey, seek out a qualified medical practitioner. If you're looking for a functional dental care provider, you can visit askthedentist.com directory and search or find a dentist database. It's important that you have someone in your corner who's trained, is a licensed healthcare practitioner, and can help you make changes, especially when it comes to your health.